0: Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited to have Mike Fitzpatrick back on the podcast. He was one of my first guests, and it's really great to catch up with him. Just as a little recap, Mike has been fasting since November 2020. When he started, he had quite a bit of weight to lose. He is now around 215, 218, give or take. So he's essentially reached where he'd like to maintain. He has type one diabetes and his A1C has been great. It's been in the low fives consistently. He's also changed quite a bit with respect to his diet and exercise. He is always on the cutting edge of everything diet and exercise related and every time I speak to him I learn something new. He is just a wealth of information and he really takes pride in managing his health and achieving optimal outcomes so I hope you get a lot out of this episode. It really is great to catch up with Mike. Hey Mike, so good to see you again. How have hey, you been? Hey
1: I've been great. So good to uh, talk to you again. It's been a while. It's been about nine months since we, since we last spoke.
0: Yeah. I'm so happy to speak to you again and get some updates. You're sort of an interesting person because you are always changing things up. You yes. never <laughs> you never sit still. So um, let before we dive into all that, I just want to recap for the audience and I'm going to link in the show notes of the prior episode, but just as a heads up for everybody, like everything has changed for you, but <laughs> you started just as a baseline, you started intermittent fasting like in November, 2020. Is that right? Somewhere around yes.
1: there? Yep.
0: And then your high weight was like 370, 380 thereabouts.
1: Yeah, probably 380 plus. I stopped weighing myself when I got that big. So probably just under 400s, around 380 or so.
0: Yeah. And your type one, are you still, you're still on tandem? Control I still IQ. take
1: tandem control IQ with, uh, Dexcom G6.
0: Okay. Awesome. Yep. So when we last left it, you were still, you were doing a lot of extended fasting. You had started running, um, you were aggressively trying to lose weight and you're in a yes. totally different spot right now. Maybe you can just walk us through the last nine or 10 months.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, it's been, a um, a very good nine or 10 months, uh, for me health wise. Uh, I like to call, uh, what I'm going through and what a lot of people, um, that do fasting and type one go through is evolution. I would say I would call it with nutrition and diet and fasting. Um, right now, as of today, I'm, I'm pretty much at my goal weight. Um, I'm at about 218, 215. Um, so that's what 160 pounds or so and you're um,
0: tall. You're like 6'3",
1: right? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, I actually had a DEXA scan done, and I'm right at the body fat percentage that I want to be. I'm at about um, 16% or so and a good amount of muscle. Wow. Um, so right after we spoke in January, I think I was signed up for a 10K race. Um, and I ended up doing that. Um, I, I ended up doing that about 66 hours fasted. I just wanted to see if I could do it. Um, a big inspiration for me was, uh, gosh, what's uh, Paul? What's his name? There's a UK doctor. I forget his name. You referenced um, it last time,
0: and I can't remember either. Obviously, <laughs>
1: he, yeah, he did. Yeah, I did talk about it last time. He did a um, hundred miles in five days, uh, completely fasted. So I, I wanted to see if I could do it, and I did it, no problem. Um, my ketones were great, and everything like that. But anyway, fast forward to today. Um, I I kept up the uh, extended fasting, uh, usually about 36 to uh, 48 hours back to back. And then really, I, I got to a point where, uh, you know, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, you know, I, I am really comfortable with the way things are going now. I, I'm i comfortable with my weight. Um, and I started to incorporate a lot more exercise. Um, and with the exercise came a lot more hunger It made fasting a lot more difficult for me. Um, so I, so I've been doing a lot of, uh, weight training and, um, cardio work. So these days I'm doing uh, training six times a week. I do uh, resistance training three times a week, and then I do, uh, uh, 5k to 10k, uh, three times a week. So I, I'm training six times a week with one day of rest. Um, and I've been doing 10k races. My next race is on uh, November 6th. And I just did one uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, And I'm feeling fantastic. And um, as far as fasting is concerned, oh, sorry. As far as fasting is concerned, I um, really don't do too much extended fasting these days. It's more um, time-restricted eating, I call it. But I'm uh, doing um, one to two meals a day. I usually eat something around two o'clock and then I'll probably eat something again, probably around five to seven o'clock PM. But as far as diet's concerned, I do do a pretty strict carnivore diet. Um, that's kind of a um, an, another evolution for me um, just to kind of maximize my protein. I'm getting a lot of protein um, and I'm trying to eat lower fat to kind of minimize the amount of calories I'm bringing in, but maximize the amount of carbs and, or not carbs, uh, protein, and then obviously keeping very minimum carbs. So. So it, it's been a lot over the last nine months, um, but it's been a great journey.
0: Yeah. I Every time that I'm in touch with you, it's like you're trying something new and you're mm-hmm. like really on the cutting edge of everything. And I want to ask you a question about hunger and uh, exercise, because I wonder right. if it's the you're hungrier now because you lost all that weight and there's just not as much body fat for your body to use for energy. Like, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's that, or if it's, you really think it's exercise or maybe it's both. I don't know.
1: Yeah. That's that I mean, that's a really good question. Um, when I started lifting, uh, pretty heavy, I, I would get overwhelming urges to eat protein, animal protein. Um, and I just, my growing levels just totally spiked, like, um, that I wasn't used to doing the extended fast. And of course I was doing fasts of like, uh, three to five days back to back. Like it was not, not that it was nothing, but it was, it, it, it was easy for me. But when I incorporated heavy exercise, my body was just telling me, you know, Mike, you gotta, you gotta start upping your protein here. Um, and my goal became less doing long extended fast and more, uh, you know, trying to build back muscle and trying to get, um, more in shape. So, um, I, I do think losing weight, um, Exercise, this might be a controversial opinion, but exercise really, to me, is not um, important for losing weight. To me, it's more about, um, you know, keeping you healthy mentally and, um, I guess, body recomposition if if you want to build muscle. But if you're worried the most about um, pounds on the scale, then I think it's really about what you put in your mouth and what comes out, so...
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. And you're right, it is kind of like, because we've just been told over and over again, diet and exercise, if you want to lose weight, diet and exercise, but really it's just diet. Exercise is great, like you said, for the mental aspect, but exercise, as you're saying, I agree with you 100%, like will make you more hungry, which is not great for weight loss. (laughs) And as type one, exercise really messes up your blood sugar most of the time because it's, so, well, it's so unpredictable. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit, about yeah. how yeah. exercise has been with your blood sugar?
1: Yep, so um, I think the last time we spoke, I was a 5.2 A1C um, and then between, uh, and then after that I was 5.0 and I just retested before we got on, I was 5.3. Um, exercise has made it a little bit more difficult to manage my blood sugars just because it's it's somewhat unpredictable. Uh, what my blood sugars are going to do. Like I'll, I'll do resistance training. Sometimes my my sugars will shoot through the roof and I'll need to uh, uh, bolus uh, for exercise. And other times uh, my blood sugar will crash. Um, and same thing with running when I do 5Ks, 10Ks. Um, for the first like 5K for the first half, my blood sugars will start shooting through the roof. And then um, as time goes on, they'll start crashing down. So it, it makes it a little bit harder to manage. Someone like me, I'm used to keeping my blood sugars between like 80 to uh, 110. That's my comfort range. And anytime I see something that gets over 110, I start getting kind of um, panicky. I'm like, oh, I have to get it back down. I have to get it back down just because I want to make sure I have um, normal steady blood sugars. But um, I think the exercise has made it more difficult for me to um, manage my blood sugars, like I said, but it's um, it's just another evolution, something I am I am learning. Um I keep a close eye on my CGM and I'll treat with uh, glucose tabs or insulin as needed. The thing that's really good about the tandem is I can take micro doses of insulin to just nudge me down um, to a, a level that I'm comfortable with. Uh, uh, same with glucose. I know exactly how much glucose I need to take to get me back into um, a comfortable range. So, But uh, I, as far as exercise, w- when I was first losing weight, started my journey, Um, I will say that if you're type one and looking to fast, I I will say that walking is a great way to help manage your blood sugars. Um, And it's something that I found really didn't make me too hungry, but it's something, you know, you get outside, you get the heart going a little bit. It's not too strenuous and it's a good way to uh, help bring your your blood sugars down without having to take insulin. So.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually, uh, I I always have, when I walk, I end up, going low if there's any mm-hmm. insulin on board yep. but i have been using it more and more now as like a way to like deal with highs versus using more insulin because yes it, it just brings your highs down a little bit uh in a more controlled fashion i would say yes. and even if you go a little low from walking if you come inside or you just sit down for five minutes on your walk your blood sugar will naturally go back up to where it should be it doesn't like it's not like one of those insulin lows which keeps you low for a long time and you actually have to treat it it's exactly. like exactly yeah. I've, I've actually come to appreciate walking a little bit more as I've, you know, we're both 25 years in with type one <laughs>
1: as yeah, I've learned more about
0: it. Yeah. I feel like walking is one of my best tools to manage at least bringing down high blood triggers.
1: I agree completely. And, um, you know, with, with, uh, the weather getting colder, it's going to be harder to get outside with the ice and everything like that. So it's just something you have to, um, pay more attention to um and that's great that you reminded me that um actually november 20th i think is my 25th anniversary um so just looking back of of all the progress that i've made and everything that i've learned i um there's really a lot that uh i'd love to share with with everybody regarding you know type one and everything like that that's why i think podcasts like yours are so great so
0: yeah and you know, the podcast just keeps growing and growing. There's like a lot more listenership and it's just it's great. I've been getting a lot of feedback. So That's I know awesome. people are hearing your story and taking it in. Yes. And I know and I, I am like every time I interact with you, I learn something new. Yep. And I appreciate that you're really on the cutting edge of everything.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really into um the the low carb way, the Dr. Bernstein way of managing things. Um I, I'm just I, I wish when they diagnosed me 25 years ago that they would tell me that they told me about low carb and just how much easier, like, honestly, it makes everything, um, managing your diabetes. Um, you don't necessarily have to go low or, uh, carnivore. Like I'm, I'm doing, uh, vegetables are fine. Dr. Bernstein, uh, promotes, uh, like a six, 12, 12 type thing with, uh, carbs with vegetables, but, um, just honestly compared to what, the American Diabetes Association and and a lot of dietitians and endos promote. It's just, it really is night and day with uh, managing your diabetes and and fasting. I found gave me really uh, even keel uh, blood sugars. It was a great way to test basal rates. So I really got my basals dialed in. And um, once you get that done, if you get that dialed in, then um, figuring out the bolus for your meals, uh, that just makes it easier. So
0: yeah, that's a super important point. And that's one of the things I like about fasting for myself is just doing the constant basal testing. Because mm-hmm. I think there's a misconception that, you know, you get your basals right and then you don't have to think about them again. It's like, no, they're changing constantly.
1: Changes all the time, yeah. <laughs> changes with the weather, changes with exercise. Um, I, I'm actually taking more insulin, a lot more insulin now than I was um, when I was doing a lot of my extended fasts. And when that first happened, I kind of started panicking. I was like, oh no, I'm, am I going to start gaining weight, uh, fat again? Because, you know, I was taught to believe that insulin is really obesogenic. But but the more I learned about it, it's actually, it's crucial to uh, build muscle. Um, so the way I look at it is with all the weight training I'm doing, I'm eating a lot more protein and um, the insulin is really key. Uh, I, I personally am trying to get over the fear of taking more insulin and I'm, I feel the best that I felt in such a, a long time and I'm keeping the weight off. And, um, so that's just something else that I learned too.
0: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your mindset if we could. So, uh-huh. and we can, I want to, cause, cause you're someone who I said earlier, you know, you try a bunch of different things. You're obviously very dedicated to what you do and you've been at this, you've been at intermittent fasting and like really hitting this hard since November, 2020 mm-hmm. you have, and you've hit your goal weight and you're, you've, you're basically in maintenance now, yes. right? Essentially. Yep. Um, do you worry about backsliding? Do you Like what, are, what, what's your mental state right now?
1: Yeah. So backsliding is definitely a concern, but, um, right now my main concern is training for my races, getting better, getting faster, getting stronger, building, putting muscle on. Um, I don't really worry about the scale these days. I, I use a, uh, tape measure for my, my stomach. And I make sure that my waist to height ratio that I think that's probably the best metric uh, that people can use instead of a scale, because it'll tell you, um, you know, the, the central uh, fat that you have on your belly. And that's really unhealthy. Uh, Weight on the scale can fluctuate by 10 pounds. I found with myself, just based on what you eat and how much water you drink at the last time, you know, you use the restroom and stuff like that. So really the scale is not something that I'm too concerned about, but if if I do notice that my um my weight is creeping up or my my stomach is getting fatter than I would like, I know that I can switch the uh the fasting uh switch back on um immediately and I can um, pretty much effortlessly lose weight whenever I want to. Um just because of all the the stuff that I've learned and all the tips and tricks that that come with fasting. But if I do do that, then I would have to scale back on my exercise, but um, being in maintenance mode, like I said, eating two times a day, it's, it's great. When I first started fasting and I read about, um, you know, the slowdown of metabolism and stuff like that, um, that was another big fear of mine. Um, I'm finding with uh, eating two times a day, I'm not sure if that's helping my metabolism or not, but um, I think that that should help me um, not slow my metabolism down uh, with that. I did get a uh, DEXA scan done. I think I mentioned it earlier. Uh, And they did a base metabolic or a resting metabolic rate test on me. And they did a DEXA scan um, the resting metabolic rate, interestingly, came uh, out very low. So my metabolism was slowed down. Um, and the tech did, th- I, I told the tech about all the fasting I did, and the tech was of the opinion that the, all the extended fasting I did did slow my metabolism down. So I was pretty concerned about that. Um, so they said uh, to speed it back up, I, I really need to up the exercise, um, increase the the amount of calories I eat. And so I'm going to do another uh, RMR test in January to see if my strategy has worked. But um, so far I've, I've been able to keep off um, the weight.
0: Sometimes. Yeah. So when did you, so you were, I mean, when we spoke last time, you were really heavily into extended fasting. And then mm-hmm. obviously over time, you sort of like loosen the grip a little bit as you've trended toward maintenance. When yes. did you start eating like the two meals a day or OMAD, whatever you basically trending. um
1: i'd say probably like july like mid-july i'd say um that's when i started focusing more on um, body recomposition and, and building muscle and um yeah. did you
0: find it hard to go from doing really extended fast because it, it really takes a different mindset to mm. do all these extended fasts or even if you're just doing like alternate day fasting or something to going back to being a daily eater, it really is a different way of doing things. Like how did yes. you find that transition?
1: Yeah. So when I was doing extended fast, um, I would, I would definitely, I was one of those people that would probably overeat just because, uh, during refeeding periods, just because, Oh, look at all these cheeseburgers. I'm going to eat them all. <laughs> but, um, I'm finding with, with, uh, eating two meals a day, I'm really able to eat till satiation and not overeat. And I think that's that's really, um, a key, uh, when you make the transition from doing extended fast to eating every day. And that's, that's how normal people quote unquote eat. Um, and I think with, with the extended fasting, it kind of reset my, my relationship with food and kind of reset my, um, my hunger hormones. So I I can pay attention to when I'm actually hungry versus when I'm feeling something else like, Oh, I'm bored. Or if I'm feeling, you know, um, some other kind of emotion that's um, driving me to the fridge or something like that and cutting out all, all the junk food. Um, And also uh, uh, with carnivore, I I will say it, it really, it restricts you uh, for what you can eat. So when you put those self restrictions on, then it further um, limits what you can eat and it limits your, your ability to overeat. If you're just eating protein like tuna and chicken and, Ah, uh, beef. It, it's hard to overeat that stuff, and it it's kind of like a natural way to um, keep you from overeating. If that makes any sense. So.
0: Yeah. So you you started carnivore also around the same time, like around is it July that you started it?
1: Yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, I, I um started listening I, as you may or may not know. I'm a podcast junkie when it comes to nutrition and diabetes management, <laughs> um, and I've. I found some podcasts with uh, Joe Rogan and Paul Saladino, uh, and then Sean Baker, and then just uh, Michaela Peterson told her story. Jordan Peterson, and there was a whole bunch of other people. Uh, I just found the uh, the story intriguing, um, and I I thought to myself, well, if you know, low carb is good, then zero carb must be better for me as a diabetic. Um, and so far, it's it's been pretty good. Uh, I've noticed when I combined the carnivore with the weightlifting, I put a significant amount of muscle on very quickly. I don't know if that's because I was in, in an untrained state quote unquote um, or if just the massive protein, maybe I was eating more again, but um, I just noticed personally that my, I was putting on a lot of muscle uh, very quickly. I wasn't used to that. Um, I just, Thank you. It's just, I don't know if it's, uh, if I'm going to evolve from carnivore and start eating vegetables again. But, uh, for now, I, I I like the way I eat. Um, I bought a smoker. So I'd love to, you know, smoke some brisket and just eat that all week or some pulled pork or do a whole bunch of chicken breast. So
0: can, can you walk me through like what you eat in a day? If you're eating two meals a day, just maybe you can tell me what you eat.
1: Yeah. So yesterday I ate, um, Let's see. I ate 12 scrambled eggs. And what else did I eat? I ate probably three chicken breasts and two cans of tuna. Um and when I eat now I I try not to add any fat to it. I try to keep it lower fat um but I just eat the um the protein, and I eat the fat that comes with the protein. So, like, if I if I cook eggs, maybe I'll throw in a little bit of butter, but um, I'm not going to put like mayonnaise or um, any other condiments or stuff like that. Uh, black coffee is still a real big thing for me, but um, like uh, in the morning, like I'll or uh, in the early afternoon. Yesterday, I had the eggs, and then uh, I got hungry a little bit later and had the um, the tuna and the chicken. And I was satiated for the rest of the night. Now I haven't eaten yet today. It's about uh, 1.30 right now on a Friday. Um, and I'm probably going to eat probably around 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, something like that. I might go get a cheeseburger or something like that without the bun. But um, really, I, I, I eat when I'm hungry. And I don't eat when I'm not hungry. So,
0: Have you found it difficult? Okay, when you started carnivore, did you find mm-hmm. it? difficult to give up vegetables, fruit, or whatever else you were eating? Or was it like pretty intuitive for you?
1: Um, I, when I, before I, I wasn't eating too many vegetables, but I was eating like spinach and salad and tomatoes. And, um, uh, so w- when I made the transition to carnivore, I, I don't think it was too much of a stretch. I, I think they would call it ketovore. Uh, but I, what I was eating was all the, um, some of the, Keto garbage stuff like um, they had like keto cookies and stuff like that. That that stuff's good and all, but it, really it's not too good for blood sugar. And in my opinion, um, and, and it's processed food. It really, carnivore is more about um, giving up processed food. I would think. Um, it's it's kind of an an elimination diet, um, and if if you can give up the processed food and just stick with you know whole, um whole foods like uh like meats and vegetables and just stay out of the middle aisle i think you'll you'll go very far
0: yeah So, and do you uh so you were saying you might at some point reintroduce vegetables but you feel like you like you don't feel deprived in any way on carnivore
1: no not at all i i feel great and i love the food that i eat so i mean who who doesn't like uh a bacon cheeseburger after you know, a heavy lift session or, um, I love grilled chicken and pulled pork. You you can't beat it. I mean, I, I will have, uh, like garlic powder, black pepper and, uh, um, as seasoning, but in black coffee, but that's pretty much about it.
0: So you're eating really Um, clean now.
1: Yeah. And you, you can, you can tell a difference, um, when you eat clean. Um, and I, it just helps with, uh, satiation too. And just helps with hunger signaling and and that sort of thing. Uh, There's a lot of people that say that um, eating this way is how humans evolved um, before we introduced agriculture like 10,000 years ago. And that, of course, that's when a lot of the metabolic diseases started developing, Uh, at least that's what some would say. Um, So just going back to just eating meat, it's, I think it's it's very, uh, I think everyone should try it. Especially if you're uh, diabetic.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And maybe so. One of the things I have trouble with when I do too much protein, and I wanted to hear your opinion on mm-hmm. it is, you know, like that delayed protein rise. Oh yeah,
1: yep. Big have time. you been
0: experiencing that, or have you pretty much figured that part out?
1: I I have experienced that, and I've been fighting with my endo to prescribe me um, R insulin, which is. Uh, really supposed to line up um, tremendously with uh, a protein spike. Um, you'll eat the protein and then you'll get a, a spike, uh, for those that don't know, uh, in your blood sugar, probably like three to six hours later, maybe even l- later than that. Um, and our, the R-type insulin kind of follows that same trajectory. Um, but the insulins that are prescribed these days are rapid acting and they were designed for uh, high-carb diets, honestly. Uh, you know, you you eat a cupcake and uh, you take in, your Novolog insulin like 10 minutes before and you try to match up the peak of the cupcake with the, the peak of the insulin. And it just doesn't work um, day to day. You might be able to get it to work sometimes, but over a long enough period of time, you're going to have really high blood sugars or really low blood sugars eating that way. But um, I'm still trying to get the R insulin, but with my pump, I'm able to do uh, dual wave extended boluses. So I'll give myself a bolus, uh, when I start eating the protein and then I'll do an extended bolus over two hours. And then at the end of two hours, I'll give myself a small, uh, additional two hour bolus. So it kind of imitates the way that our insulin, um, acts in your body. So.
0: Okay. And do you notice different proteins have different effects on blood sugar?
1: Yes. Um, proteins with, a lower amount of fat, I, I would say like, I'll just eat straight canned tuna. That'll spike me uh, a lot quicker than something like uh, a ribeye steak, which will be more of an extended slow release um, and spike a, a lot later just because of the fat. So generally speaking, I have found that something with more fat will give you a spike later, um, but uh, some, a type of protein like a chicken breast or tuna, canned tuna, will spike you a lot sooner and it'll be out of your system quicker so
0: yeah i i i struggle with that that protein rise myself i'm always like cuz i can never exactly predict when it's going to happen and right. then by the time it's happening it's already too late cuz the insulin's not in yet and then you're going to yep. definitely have that rise and then it sort of becomes frustrating but that frustration is a lot you know less of a frustration than eating the cupcake for example yeah.
1: yep yep and that and if you eat protein with a lot of fat um you can get those sticky those sticky highs where it's really hard to bring back down but um if you're just eating protein and not the carbs uh the sugar the carbs the wheat and stuff like that then um it's a lot more noticeable but if you're eating the carbs then you don't really notice the protein spike so that's why a lot of there's a myth out there that says that uh you, uh, diabetics don't need to bolus for protein i you've probably heard that but i i've i hear that all the time and every time i hear that i just shake my head like what uh, what kind of advice are they giving type ones you know it's just absolutely nuts but
0: yeah i remember when i got diagnosed it would say like grilled chicken is a free food cheese yes. is free like free i don't you know like
1: yeah <laughs> like no, why is my blood sugar going up <laughs> there's, Not there's nothing free, nothing free. Yeah. You could eat a handful of pebbles, um, and it'll spike your, your blusher because of the incretin effect. So
0: yeah, I mean, there's just nothing free. So. There's
1: all kinds of myths with, with type one. And the, the more I'm, I study it, the more I see it and the more outraged I get over a lot of it. So.
0: Yeah. And speaking to that protein rise. So obviously you're eating more throughout the day. Is there, mm-hmm. what time do you cut off your eating? Cause if you have that protein rise overnight, you sure. can't deal with it as well.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, something I I learned from you, if you eat your biggest meal at like two o'clock, so Mm -hmm. most of the food is out of your system the last time that we spoke, um, then you're not going to have the dawn phenomenon stuff going on. So uh, an ideal day for me is I try to have my last food by 6 p.m. Um, So that way when I wake up, my blood sugars are are nice and even and I don't have to worry about um, any food left over still being digested. Um, fortunately, I, I don't think I have—I don't have uh, gastroparesis. I know a lot of type ones do have to fight with that, um, so that's just uh, something I—I I don't have to worry about at this point. But if I did have that, then I'd probably have to re-examine my my strategies with with that. But i, I try to uh, leave as big a gap between bedtime and my last meal as possible. To answer your yeah. question,
0: I think that's smart. Yeah, that's that's what I do. I really mm-hmm. am making a huge effort to I'm, I'm like even closing my window earlier and earlier now, I, A lot of days I'm closing it by noon.
1: Yeah. I used to that's, close it at like one or two
0: o'clock, but
1: yep. Yeah. That's like
0: smart I'm, smart. It's what is it? One 30 now I'm done mm-hmm. for the day. You know, I would finish before we even got on, but yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and just, you know, these days with, uh, all the snacking we're, we're encouraged, not just us, but you know, everyone in Western culture, even, um, we're encouraged to eat just throughout the day. You know, you wake up, you you eat breakfast, you eat your morning snack, you eat your lunch, you eat your afternoon snack, you eat your dinner, and then you eat your nighttime snack. That's six meals right there. If you're a type one diabetic, that's going to cause havoc with your blood sugar. If you, if you can just scale it back to um, just one or even two meals a day, you're going to do so much better. Um, Not, not just from a weight and obesity perspective, but from a blood sugar management perspective
0: yeah yeah and i i also want to talk to you about something else blood sugar wise because i know you were struggling a lot with your dawn phenomenon feet on the floor and uh i think a lot of type 1 struggle with it and i was always kind of under the impression i've i've struggled with it on and off over the years and actually it's gotten much much better with intermittent fasting but i still have it to some extent like i'll wake up and then I, I do have to give myself insulin. I'll end up like, you know, feet on the floor, hit 130. Yep. Before I even get out of bed, I'm like giving myself insulin. But your dawn phenomenon is like almost pretty much resolved, right?
1: Yes, I've been uh, very fortunate with that. Um, I can play with my basal rates. I, I do get a small spike in the mornings. Um, occasionally I will have to give myself a bolus, but with my tandem, I'm able to adjust my basal rates. So I give myself a little bit more basal starting early in the morning to try and combat that. Um, but I, I do think with ending my eating window so early, it, it does help with, uh, the Dom phenomenon. Um, I know uh, for those that do not, that are not on the pump, uh, I believe Dr. Bernstein says to split your basal dose in two and take some basal, um, at bedtime, uh, and I think he actually wakes up early and uh, gives himself a a bolus shot to counteract the the Dom phenomenon. But before I got into my health journey, I was regularly getting blood sugars in the uh, mid to upper 200s, even the 300s on a daily basis. Um, and then I'd give myself insulin and I'd crash down in the mid morning. Uh, then I'd overeat, uh, treating my blood sugar, and then I'd be steady and then, um, you know, Repeat, rinse, and repeat for the next day. Uh, when I started fasting, it kind of reset all that, and I was able to get uh, normal, steady, flatline blood sugars twenty-four-seven, which is my goal. So,
0: yeah, I you sent me your charts, and I'm amazed at just how smooth your lines are. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, you've put a tremendous amount of work into it, so I'm not surprised by that. Yes. I honestly didn't know. I've seen a couple people here and there on Facebook do it, but I have never known their methodology to get there. Mm -hmm. So it seems like you sort of, you know, have the formula. It's, it's intermittent fasting. It's extremely low carb slash carnivore and my, you know, exercise, but obviously you got to understand how the insulin works in order to be able to do the exercise.
1: Yep. There's a, um, well, I I will say my, my flat graphs are not unique. Uh, they're probably unique to the type one com- community at large, um, but for everyone listening, there there is a great group out there, Type One Grit. Um, they're on Facebook. If you look them up, um, they they talk a lot about how to get the flatline uh, CGMs. Uh, Doctor Bernstein, uh, I'm a huge fan of his. Get his book. He'll uh, he goes into that a lot. But uh, you're right. Nutrition is is one of the most, if not the most important thing when it comes to Um, blood sugar management getting those those flat lines so yeah it's it's critically important uh, that type ones maintain those flat lines because blood sugar excursions can do lasting damage Um, and the more i study it uh, the more i see that uh, even slightly elevated a1c's can um, cause um, significant um, long-term consequences for you so it's important to get your blood sugars as close to non-diabetic as possible
0: yeah I mean, I have quite a few complications myself and mm-hmm. my diabetes has always been as well managed as I could possibly do yeah. given the technology I had. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm not I wasn't running at like an A1C of 10 for years and years. I wasn't. I was like a seven right. and I still have a lot of complications. And now obviously since I got the DexCOM and I've been doing loop, my A1C has been in the fives and it, it obviously it helps when you get your blood sugars under control to prevent further damage, but, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, as, as normal as, as possible is what saves you.
1: I've seen data from, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with type one, uh, di- or type one, or what is it called? T1D exchange. Um, they collect uh, data on um, type one diabetics and their management. And I saw a chart that they did. I think it's like 33% of type one diabetics have an A1C of over 10% um i I'll, I'll show you i'll show that chart to you after this is over but it's a really scary chart and um the majority the vast majority of type 1 diabetics can't get like a 7.5 a1c um and i think that's that's really sad um because you the research that i've seen shows that you can get complications as low as 5.3% uh with uh ma- macro microvascular um complications so Th- there, there's a lot that needs to be done um, to to get us healthy. And, and I think a lot of that ha- stems from um, bad information that we get from our healthcare, our healthcare teams. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of that has to do with just stuff that's not like quite mainstream for type ones yet. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I, I know you're not totally thrilled with your endo, but um, mine's the same. Like I go in there, they do the bloods and then, you know, we talk a little bit about settings, but, there's no like discussion of diet. There's no discussion right. of intermittent fasting. I think that that should be a key component of treating a type one person. Because yes,
1: Absolutely.
0: you know, I, if you understand how to use insulin and you get your blood work done and stuff like that, that's great. But like, what what are the variables that affect your blood sugar? There's no discussion of it. It's really just a idea where you know, just li- live the life you want to live, eat whatever you want, whenever you want, and just deal with the fallout with insulin. Yep. It's like, that's not the answer.
1: Yep. So I, I, I would say I'm probably the best control diabetic in her practice. Um, I asked her about that and she said that, um, and there's really no interest. She has no interest in in learning exactly what I do for her patients. In fact, she told me that um, I should stop fasting she told me that I should uh, eat carbs that I need to eat the the 40 to 60 carbs per meal, like 60, uh, six times a day. And I said, and I've been seeing this person for the last 17 years. And, and that's frankly, that's how I got up to almost 400 pounds. And I'm like, I'm not listening to you or your dietitians anymore. You know, this is something that I'm going to handle myself and um, just write my prescriptions and, and. That's it. So it, you get, I personally have gotten jaded with, with the advice that we get from medical professionals. There's some out there that are absolutely outstanding. So you just, something I, I've learned over the past two years, since I started this is you really need to stand up for yourself and be a self-advocate. You need to do your own research. You need to, um, you know, no one's gonna, going to, going uh, to get healthy for you. This is something that you have to do. Um, whether it's through fasting, whether it's through um, a change in your diet, whether whether it's an exercise program, if you want to get a trainer or something like that, um, it's it's on you.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a hard thing to to swallow because it's like, you think a doctor is looking out for your best interest. And while they are, they also have so many other patients that they're dealing with and they just don't have the, they don't have the same level of interest in your health as you do. So you have to be the one that's proactive and thinking about all these things or and or they may not be as well informed as you they may know the medical aspect of it but they are not on the cutting edge of what intermittent fasting could do and i there was a when i was diagnosed with diabetes uh i there was i was at university of new mexico and they had i went to the hospital there and they had a type one diabetic who was an endocrinologist in the practice and she was like always booked i could never get in to see her same thing in new york i always wanted to see another doctor that a doctor that had type one, cause I feel like they understand you the best and they yes. can figure out what you're going through. But in lieu of that, you kind of have to <laughs> figure it out for yourself and do what mm-hmm. you're doing, reading all the research, listening watching all the videos and listening to all the podcasts. Like you're just like so interested in your health. And I think that's like, that's what keeps you going and that's why you are where you are.
1: Yep. Yep. It's it's crucially, crucially important, not just for type one diabetes expert, but for anybody. Um, because, you know, di- type one diabetics and even type two diabetics, they'll, they'll follow the, the ADA guidelines. Oh, you know, I got, I am getting 7% A1Cs, but why am I getting all these complications? Like I did everything they told me. Um, and it's not until it's too late, um, that they realize that they were given <laughs> bad information. But, um, th- the good thing is, the good news is you can reverse a lot of these complications with normalized blood sugars, um. And, and the best way that to do it in my research so far is to do the low carb, um, take small small doses of, of insulin with the low carb because uh, that will give you, you know, just bump and nudge uh, your blood sugars to get to uh, a normal range instead of getting these you know monster hypers and the hypos like I used to get. Like I used to get um, constant um, seizure hypoglycemias my wife would have to call uh you know fire rescue to come and revive me and it it was just a nightmare and since i've started this health journey i haven't had one um it's really amazing
0: uh, yeah i mean that's like the best non-scale victory there is in yep. my
1: opinion.
0: she she hasn't had to do that for you um i want to circle back to something else if you don't mind and that's sure. uh you mentioned keto garbage and we were, we were talking an, another time offline about how you know there's a lot of there's an opinion in the keto community, like, you know, Oh, eat like keto mac and cheese and, you know, with cauliflower or whatever, or just eat a lot of heavy cream and just very fatty, fat, rich diet. Mm -hmm. But when you get to a certain point in your weight loss journey, like you actually can't really eat that way. Otherwise you really won't lose weight anymore. Right. Like
1: exactly. When
0: did you start putting that together?
1: So like I said, my, my diet and nutrition, um, and diabetes management is an evolution and it's, um, going to evolve until the day I die. Um, I found, uh, a doctor named Dr. Ted Naaman, and everyone should look him up. Uh, he does the, uh, the PE diet. So basically his thing is, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, if you want to lose weight, you want to minimize, or or the reason that people gained uh, so much weight is because they are eating too much fat and too much carbs. So he advocates for a, a high protein, um, low-fat, low-carb diet. And Dr. Naaman, I'm sorry if I if I am misinterpreting uh what you're saying, but basically, people on keto, they they will lose a ton of weight, and that's awesome, but they will get to a point where they struggle and, and they plateau and then they'll start regaining again and the criticism is that they're eating too much fat or too much energy. And there's a, there's a very vigorous debate online between the, the high fat keto people and the low fat keto people. Um, you, but um, I tend to agree that it's, it's an energy, it's an energy issue. You can gain weight from eating fat. Fat is not a free food. Um, yeah. And that's something that I've come to realize. So.
0: Yeah. I, I was starting to realize that myself too, because, uh, you know, I was like transitioning more. I I was in the beginning of my intermittent fasting journey and like, you know, maybe up toward the middle, I was eating some carbs and then I started just reducing them out to now I eat very few carbs in a day. But, uh, when I was not eating the carbs, I was like, Oh, well, I can eat more cheese and heavy cream. And you know, a lot of that other stuff I was, I was replacing it. And I found actually i wasn't losing weight and i was gaining weight from it and then i was like huh that doesn't that's interesting and then when i started taking those foods out those i mean i eat them on occasion but not not every day now then then the weight started coming off and staying off but i never would have figured that out because the common knowledge is that as long as you're not eating carbs you're not going to gain weight but that's right. not actually true
1: yep and um that that will actually um, affect your basal rates. So if you're eating a lot of fat, your your insulin basal requirements will skyrocket um, just based on the research that I've done. So.
0: Yeah, and I think that's true. And that's, you know, you and I, whether you want to consider it lucky or not, we have access to the data real time on every single thing that we do. And I yep. can absolutely attest to that being the case.
1: Yep. So that's that's why um, when you see bodybuilders, when they do a, a cutting diet, they'll eat, you know, lean chicken and maybe some rice or something like that. Uh, they, they try to do low fat um, or low carb. Um, so I'm I'm trying to go with with the high protein um, and moderate fat. That's kind of where I'm at right now. Uh, and then as low carb as possible. So.
0: Yeah, no, it seems to be working out well for you. Mm-hmm. And so, since you're basically, you're in maintenance now and you seem to have everything pretty dialed in, what are your future health goals? You know, because you, obviously you're at the weight you want, you're at an mm-hmm. A1C you want, like is the idea to just kind of keep going as you are?
1: Yeah, um, I I wanna get healthier, I wanna do um, like a Spartan race, that's, that's a goal of mine. Um, I want to keep doing my, my 10 K races. I want to get faster and faster and keep building muscle. Um, and I, I want to be an advocate for type ones out there and I want to help people, um, that were struggling. Like I, like I was two years ago. So, um, it's, it's a, it's an evolution. It's a journey. And, uh, I still have a, a long way to go. Um, at this point in my life, I, I'm at a very good place, especially compared to where I was two years ago. Um, and, um, I would love to share my story with as many people as possible as possible and help as many people as I can. So
0: I wish you would write a book.
1: Yeah, maybe I will someday. I I've been told that a few times that I just do, I've done so much research on nutrition and diabetes and exercise it is there's a lot in, in this noggin up here. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, and you've actually put all of these things into practice. So it's not like you're just speaking from an academic perspective. You actually.
1: But but I will say the the thing that started all off, um, was the video that I watched by Dr. Jason Fung, uh, when he gave a a talk at the, I think it was like a CrossFit. It's a free video on YouTube. Everyone should check that out. Um, that's what really kind of got, got me started down the rabbit hole. Um, as far as fasting and, and really, uh, helping with my weight loss. So.
0: Yeah. And I love your story because you're just a prime example of like, you were in a really bad place. Two years ago, you were Mm. close to 400 pounds. Your wife was calling paramedics for your low blood sugars. Like you were really in a bad, bad spot health wise. And, And now you're like, it's a complete one-eighty. It's
1: it's a night and day, and I don't think I told you this last time, but I was actually um, in line to get uh, the stomach surgery. I was going to get the gastric sleeve, um, just because I, I was at this point of desperation. I didn't know what to do, what else to do, um, and that's uh, and I was also uh, after I found fasting and and experienced such success that that's something else that kind of made me angry. Like why wasn't why didn't any of the doctors tell me that I could do this and, um, effortlessly, effortlessly lose weight. Uh, they just, their priorities are are screwed up. The first month I did fasting, I lost, I think 30 pounds and I felt so much better. And it just the weight loss without the surgery, it gets, it, it gets really addictive. And then, um, when you disrupt these, um, negative feedback loops that keep you, you know, obese and addicted to food and, um, you know, bad habits, when you break that cycle, that negative feedback loop cycle, um, and start, uh, introducing things that make you healthier and you get addicted to the things that make you healthier. It's such, it's such a game changer. Um, it's, I can't explain it. It's, it's just something that's, uh, I think everyone has the ability to do, uh, you just need to take the steps. And I think it, it starts with nutrition. If you get your nutrition right, everything else will fall into place.
0: Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, thank you for walking the walk and giving other people an example. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's really incredible what you've managed to do with your life in a really short period of time, two years, it was going to go by whether you did this or not and look at what you did in two years.
1: Yep. Yep. I told myself when I was 38 uh, by the time I'm 40, it's going to be my birthday this February uh, and it's October now that I wanted to get healthy. I wanted to get a six pack and I'm, I'm just about there. So.
0: Wow. Congratulations. Thank um, you. <laughs> before we go, is there anything else you wanted to say?
1: No. Um, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. And I really love your podcast. Uh, I think you're doing, doing uh yeoman's work for the type one diabetic community and people that are, want to learn more about fasting. When I first started fasting, I, um, there was nothing out there uh, when it came to type one diabetics, I, Dr. Ian, Lake. that's the j- doctor I was thinking of okay. at the beginning. Um, he had something on YouTube, but that was about it. So, um, and then I found your podcast and it was really, uh, reassuring and a, a good source of information. So thank you. Oh,
0: well, thanks for saying that. And I'm hoping if assuming the podcast is still going strong, you'll come back on again. Cause I think it's nice to be able to have some continuity in here. Sure. Hey, this guy's still doing it. And, yep. you know, it's, three years later or whatever the case yep. may be. So
1: anytime, Lucy.
0: All right, great.
1: Thank
0: you. Yep. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fast life with diabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.